Welcome to the Climate Report on Forward Radio, 106.5 FM Louisville, or streaming live worldwide at forwardradio.org. I'm delighted to have Michael T. and Vincent Gonzalez with me, fellow programmers at Forward Radio, and I'm going to let Michael T. and Vincent Gonzalez introduce themselves and their radio show, Community Control Now. Hey, right on. Thanks, Hart, man. Good to finally link up here. This is kind of like um, Battle of the Network Stars, you know, and um, welcome back, Carter, with uh, Get Up With Three's Company, you know, this has got that same type of vibe, but... So, I just barely remember those shows myself. <laughs> I, I got syndication and YouTube is your friend. I, I might check some out when we get out of here. Right. But um, right. so community control now. I can do a welcome back Cotter imitation. Hello. Welcome back. How are you? My name is Arnold Korshak. That's what I was going to say. I think that's a good day, man. It kind of holds its own, man. Yeah, Korshak is a... Uh, he was he played the heavy in a lot of episodes, man. You remember Welcome Back, Carter? Oh yeah, of course. You know, you you stopped watching TV around that time, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, like one of my favorites. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah you seem like more of a, a Chico and the Man type of guy. Uh, okay. Yeah, I did like Chico. And <laughs> yeah, the man. yeah, that's cool. Um, but uh, so community control now, nothing like Chico Little and the King Man. Yeah, there he is. <laughs> That was good. That was a good Chico. But um, so Community Control Now is a grassroots community campaign. There goes the motorcycle. I remember I said we was going to get one of those. And um, so it's a grassroots community campaign recording live from the Hayburn studio here. There's uh, enough motorcycles to go around. But um, we are hoping for one thing, and that's the democratic community control of the police. So there was a campaign struggled for in Chicago amongst like the black liberation, social justice advocates of that town took them over 12 years to gain. uh, This comes from eight points of a democratically elected civilian accountability board of the police. This board has a subpoena power, the power to have oversight over the budget all the things that, as we saw, uh, this was kind of precipice of the 2020 Breonna Taylor uprising protest. Um, I myself being a part of it, being yes. in the streets, got arrested. My mentor, Michael T., uh, he was adjacent yes. to it with uh, being a part of the social justice struggles in town here. So this is uh, our contribution to the local struggle, I don't personally. I don't want all this, all those arrests, all those injuries, all that. Um, you don't want it to be for not, you know. Uh, so, we, this is our hope that we can find some sort of like political power where where it could be held, and you know, our biggest thing is power to the people. Man, we want uh, those who are most aggrieved by these systems to have a say-so in the way that they're policed. So we have an eight-point plan that we uh, go off of and, you know, let the games begin October 8th at the UU Church from 11 to 2 in the Fellowship Hall. We'll be having a vegan breakfast teaching. You can find out more about the different components to community control now. Also, we'll be doing uh, overdose response training and some other community groups will be coming in and 
doing brief teach-ins on some of the work that they're doing. If I could reflect just a bit on the theme of community control now, you know, that, that sounds like democracy, doesn't it? Yeah, that's it. In, in, in the ways that it can truly be held, that, you know, and we'll kind of get into it, the meat of uh, what we're seeing, they throw, they throw that word around like a football, man. They're John Elway with it. And, but we truly understand that there's way much more to it, especially for an institution that has blood on its hands historically and present day. It, uh, in the name of you know, liberation forum, these systems and all the ways that they can be held you know we we true democracy and as as you know as we all understand it to be i don't see that as any other solution will kind of like help us get out of this thing our declaration of independence says governments are established among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed mm. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so if we are in a community and we are being governed and we are not being governed with our consent or with the consent of a majority. Absolutely. Then where does the just power come from? And that's a good segue into the counter-revolution. Talk to us about that, Michael T. So we're here to talk about Dr. Gerald Horn's book. Is he a doctor? Yes. Yeah, he has a yeah, PhD. Right. Okay, I don't yeah. think he's a medical doctor. Right, exactly. <laughs> he's a doctor of history. Well, he, um, he's the head of history at uh, yeah, University of Houston. Yeah. I was just wondering if he, you know. Mm -hmm. made, yeah, Dr. Dr. Horn, yeah. yeah. I know he uh, is, is really, really, you know. He qualified. He checks all the boxes. He, I just didn't know. He's if actually he, got a he was a lawyer. Yeah, he's a lawyer, yeah, and then he then he got his PhD in mm -hmm. history. Yep, okay. he's a heavyweight. So, Dr. Gerald Horn, tell us about Dr. Gerald Horn, and we're going to talk about his book, The Counter Revolution of 1776. Well, I think you know we pretty much said all we could say about Dr. Horn. Uh, I don't know much about him other than, you know, his great uh, historiography. I've read hmm, maybe about five of his books. He has about 30 of them out, so he's we got a long ways to go. But, uh, Hart, I'd like to, you know, jump right into that whole Democratic piece, you know, uh, segueing off the previous discussion, you know, with you and Vincent, that uh, one of the main contradictions in the society uh, has been uh, the fraudulent narrative that has been put forth that the founding of the U.S. was essentially about democracy. And a very key point that you raise is that, you know, in the, what was that, the Declaration of Independence? They talk about the, uh, uh, the legitimacy of a government is if it has consent by the governed. Now think about that. Think about co the colonial America. Who were the governed? First of all, we have all of the indigenous people. They weren't consented. Um, they probably at the time of the uh, of 1776 uh, counter-revolution, they might have been the majority of the population on this landmass. As it, as it pertains to this, would they have been considered under the jurisdiction of the colonists? Due to the fact that they were kind of, they were, you know, as you know, as pointed out in the counter-revolution, they they were their own nation states, if you will. They maybe didn't mirror 
the Eurocentric system yes. of a, a flag and, you know, clear cut boundaries and things. But, it was, you know, they were communal societies. Yeah. And, uh, but that was one of the problems, because as much as there was superficial, ostensible recognition of their polities and their nation states, uh, generally they were seen as primitive, savage people. And whatever cultures and systems they had, uh, they were not worthy of the respect of the colonists. And even if we look at, you know, at the time that um, the counter-revolution occurred, there were 13 colonies. So there were many indigenous peoples in that jurisdiction, that colonial jurisdiction, you know, not even including because, uh, you know, the colonists had not gone it conquered the whole landmass. It had not gone completely to the uh, Pacific uh, Ocean, uh, but they did have much of the Northeast, and there were indigenous communities all through there. Now, going back to the consent of the government, there were treaties made. They were all broken. Mm -hmm. So that was like, if it was consent, it was in bad faith and it was violated. None of the enslaved people, and there we know, you know, in some states in the world, some colonial or colonies uh, consisted of the majority of the people, like in North Carolina, I think maybe a few other places, uh, a lot of municipalities, uh, we could call them that at that time. And and this is what I first picked up in reading Howard Zinn's mm -hmm. works, even before I started reading Horn, in his uh, uh, People's History of the U.S., which I read in the 80s, he says, and it, and it always stuck in my mind, is there's a chapter in there where uh, it's entitled A Revolution Sort Of, where he's, he opens the chapter by saying that the founding fathers were very clever. I'm paraphrasing him. He said they came up with a form of rule that was, had a democratic veneer, but essentially they were keeping intact all of the class domination I, I'm, I'm that existed you, in the I'm old world. I'm going to let you continue in just a minute, but I need to tell you about something that Howard Zinn says in one of his. He has a wonderfully dry, calm wit. Yes. And and uh, he says, "Tell you something about those founding fathers. They could write." No, especially Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. I hate to say. You, you know, I mean, but but they but they knew better. To if they were going to sell this thing hook, line, and sinker, hey, you better you know take some of these enlightenment ideas yes, yes. that have kind of been they just just to their good fortune they were coming up in a time where these sort of ideas were trying to you know they were starting to uh, mm -hmm. kind of spring forth and they rode the coattails but as we all know you can you know you can write write what you <laughs> want but. You know, your actions speak louder than whatever you put to pen here. Exactly. You Words know. are wonderful, but deeds well, are divine. Yeah, look, look at, I mean, what you're saying is that they were good propagandists. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And, and, Heavyweight uh, so, champs. So, so take the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> yes. The way it starts is just beautiful, and who could deny, yes. who could deny yes. any of that? Uh, the, the way it starts, you know. I forget how does it start. We we hold these truths to be self-evident that yeah. all men are created yes. equal, that they are endowed by, by that creator. creator certain, you know the thing. You know the yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, you know the thing. You know the thing. It was you know drilled in our head. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you yeah. know, yeah. So.
clearly, Hart, there was no intention, as we see in hindsight, mm -hmm. again, and there was bad faith in carrying that out because they broke all of the treaties with the indigenous people. So they didn't see yeah, them as part of it. The speaker, let me say just one more thing about the declaration, and that is that it, after the first part of it, it has like 25 complaints against the king. Yes. One of them refers to the Native Americans yes. as merciless Indian savages. savages. Yeah, like they're yes. the attackers, like they're the aggressors. Yes. And the other one, another one refers to that the king has stirred up domestic insurrection, which means slave revolt. Yes, mm -hmm. and that was a very little clever ploy because as much as there were domestic insurrections, Zen points out that there were 18 colonial, at least 18 colonial uprisings before 1776. And that doesn't include the enslaved uprisings and the indigenous uprisings. These were the poor and middle class colonists who were fighting, in a sense, for democracy. Some of those Enlightenment ideas had, you know, drifted down to the lower classes, and they were fighting primarily for democracy, you know, against the surrogate British rulers who were replicating the same kind of class contradictions in the, in the colonies that many people who were actually fleeing oppression from uh, the old world were trying to get away from. And they saw, they said, look, you know, you know contrary to all this stuff about building a new home, you know, a new, uh, what was that, that phrase, a uh, house on the hill and this new democratic experience. What was actually happening is that a lot of these old world pirates and would-be kings, everything, they were replicating the old world class struggle. So there was a democratic movement, as Zen says, among the lower classes, not the George Washington, the, the Thomas Jeffersons, or all of the surrogate Monty British Python, rulers. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. There you go, bringing class into it again. <laughs> yes. But what the elites did was redirect that democratic impulse, co-opted it, and, and directed it that sounds familiar. Yes. Co-opting the, the progressive impulse. Yes. Oh, yeah. Where have we seen that happen today? Yes, and directed. You can see see it almost like a precursor of the whole nationalism, except they didn't have the state yet, you know, like they do with wars. When there's social conflicts, that's, oh, we gotta go fight such and such. But that's straight from the that's straight from the fascist playbook. Straight they, from the fascist playbook. You know, playbook. that I mean you think about the Nazis call themselves the you know, the socialists. Of, of their uh, you know party of their country and that's like the you know faux populism is like baked in it you know like you said it's propaganda you, you gotta use any angle to sell it and I, and I almost sometimes I think about it and I'm like they probably all those nice flowery language and all that they probably meant it for themselves and you know the white you know wasp landowners that's who they want freedom for i guess it's almost it it, it parallels so much of uh some of the things we see in in trumpism and you know those guys marching in uh january 6 mm -hmm. in the capitol when they were storming that thing they they thought they were of the same uh accord and in that to even say from uh you know present day all the way to 7076 this is like 
it's a it's a 500 pound gorilla on our backs here mm-hmm. uh that this nation has to has, has never really done any true reckoning over yes. like the founding documents that sold this thing around the world yes and and again so, uh, go so ahead, I'm sorry. Our, our audience might be getting like deer in the headlights look at this point <laughs> let's just restate mm-hmm. the main theme of gerald horn's book the counter-revolution of mm-hmm. 1776 yes, yes. I, I would like to define counter-revolution so a revolution almost by definition is from the ground up it's yes. the people demanding yes. their rights mm-hmm. a counter-revolution which America has done a lot of counter-revolution. That we we've supported the contra revolucionarios yes, all around the, the world. In, in Nicaragua. <laughs> the counter we supported the proudly yes. Reagan proudly supported the counter revolutionaries. Yes. It's like we want everybody to have a we want we're the only ones that get to have a revolution. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, uh, we're the only ones that get to be proud of our supposedly revolution. Yes. But but the the calling it the counter revolution of 1776 means that the established powers were reasserting themselves vis-a-vis the disenfranchised people yes most yes. notably africans and african when i say african it's not disrespectful it's, yeah. it's no what, no yeah, yeah. we yeah. understood yeah, and, um, and africans and indigenous peoples were the two that that were kind of the if it were a revolution then it would have ended up with rights for the for everybody, mm-hmm. including the disenfranchised people, the lower classes. Exactly, yes. And we could put it even more succinctly, if it was a real revolution, as uh, Horn says, the real revolution would have been to end the colonialism and the land theft and the dispossession of the indigenous people. That would have been one fundamental change, which they did not do. If it was a real revolution, they would have ended slavery. So you named three things, colonialism, land theft, indigenous people, and fourthly, slavery. If they had ended those four yeah. things, then it would have been a revolution. Well, I was going to add one more thing. Yeah, okay. They would have extended the democratic project to even the poor white people hmm. who were mostly indentured servants or poor people. It was not even extended to them. And we see the proof of it because once the nation was established, who had power? White men of means... Who had property that excluded most white people even though many of them rallied around it but that excluded most of them right like it excludes most of them today you know the property le- the property le- property less yeah. white people don't have the power other than the psychological wages of whiteness that they think they have you know a lot of the rest of us we're not under that illusion because we we know that we didn't fit any of the criteria, white or proper. So Progress. it was fraudulent, as my brother said here, all the way around. You know, there was a slither of democracy, so, but again, they co-opted that. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm trying to get a word in edgewise. Yeah, uh, but, you got, yeah, you got to cut in there, man. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be brief. <laughs> you've got a lot to say. It'll yeah. be brief. Yeah, no, but good. John Jay, the first chief justice yeah. of the U.S. Mm-hmm. Supreme Court, said the people who own the country should run the country, yes, meaning the people that. who own the property should call the shots. That yes. sounds almost like... He said the quiet part out loud. Yeah, you know? exactly. I think they meant it as much yeah. as they could. I mean, it almost sounded libertarian or like, <laughs> you know, it's like, man, it's, uh, I'd say a majority of us, although once again, we're here to talk on, we're still struggling with 
some of these main tenets and mainly because the, the the true history isn't really synthesized and taught is definitely ain't taught in the public education system like i don't know just to riff on like what was you uh taught on when you was coming <laughs> up but how was how was the revolutionary war taught mainly in in your public school upbringing I'll try to be brief about this without telling my whole autobiography, but I was born in 1963, mm -hmm. and the bicentennial was in seven was in 1976. We it started celebrating. What? It would have put you about high school. Middle school. Oh, middle school. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, we started uh, celebrating the bicentennial in seven, in 1974. Mm -hmm. Uh, celebrated it for two years and I, I was like I, I fantasized about two things I fantasized about being a pioneer at the time of Daniel Boone and I fantasized about fighting in the American Revolution my brother had this must have been some radical 1960s leftist history teacher but he kind of he, he told me the other side of it a little bit about mm -hmm. the other side of it like here's how I'm gonna answer that yeah in 2018 was kind of my transition from mm -hmm. mainstream. From, I was conservative Republican, and then I was uh, oh, in, independent for a few years. Yeah. You made quite the my leap. My parents were Republicans. <laughs> my brothers yeah, were yeah. All Republicans. And, and then I was independent for a few years, but I was still kind of independent between the two big parties. Mm -hmm. I still didn't get it. Yeah. And, but I was learning a lot of history at that time. And my three favorite presidents, having read their biogra multiple biographies of Lincoln, uh, one biography, uh, Ron Chernow's biography of George Washington, uh, and, and somebody's biography of, of Eisenhower, my three mm -hmm. favorite presidents were Washington, Lincoln, and Eisenhower. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't have any favorite presidents anymore. Yeah. Uh, FDR would be near the top, but then mm -hmm. he, you know, he he had he certainly had some issues. Yeah. But um, I mean, you learn the truth, and then the truth gives you a whole different perspective. Yeah. It does. And you and you you don't get the truth from school. You don't get the no. truth from media. You don't get the truth from you know what Noam Chomsky calls the doctrinal institutions. Yeah. Even the even the professional societies mm -hmm. are gonna. Yeah. It'll probably dig your heels in even more so because like what going back to what we were saying, like the propaganda machine, it it's it it's it's such a necessity that this is cut straight no chaser. This is what it is. You know, <laughs> hey, we don't make us have to tell you again. You you, you gotta be a good patriot. So mm. and it keeps us from you know, denying ourselves what's clear and present. All of these, you know, these these were nice lines about, mm -hmm. you know, platitudes. one nation and platitudes. <laughs> but clearly, take a take take a couple of seconds, look around. It's, it's yeah. never been held. And then the other thing that uh, Horn points out is that you know when you look at again the colonial, you got to always go back to that settler colonial project because a lot of all the contradictions we're facing now, uh, you could see emerging in the colonial period. Okay, think about the fact that even with all of the elite control and the co-optation of the democratic spirit that was coming from the lower classes, the, um, the you know, enslaved fighting for freedom, and all of that, 
you you don't find any any or very few of those people who were advocating to break from the crown or to form a nation not even the crown surrogate rulers because if you think about it many of, many of them were comfortable comfortably working for the crown the leaders of the so-called revolution were mostly wealthy landowners yeah. who had gotten rich through British colonialism, you know, who had been set up by the British to lead the colonies. And most of them, you know, had fought with the British in the, in the previous wars. You know, they held high positions. But as Horn points out, what would make them want to break from that privilege? These people weren't suffering like that, the ones who were leading the so-called revolution. And he says clearly it was the Somerset Well, case. it was taxation without representation. Well, Horn says <laughs> that was not even the case. It was primarily, I mean, it was a lot of things, but primarily when they heard the verdict of the Somerset case. I mean, we call it the Liberty <laughs> Bell, not the Slavery <laughs> Bell. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And even before the Somerset it's case, crazy. if I should add, uh, the Royal Proclamation of 1763, after the French and Indian War, in which the French, in alliance with indigenous tribes, had almost beaten the British. Now, when they were fighting the British in that French and Indian War, George Washington and all of them were fighting with the British. Exactly. They were on the British side there. They loved yeah. the British mm -hmm. then. Yeah. It wasn't a thing. They had no natural antagonism with the British. But when that Somerset case came and they saw... Could you break down the Somerset case for us, please, real quick? So when Somerset start, yeah. went to England with his master... He went to trial, and for some reason, nobody expected that, you know, he was, you know, declared, you know, hey, we can't hold him. When the surrogate leaders of the Crown in the colonies heard that, that sent panic through them, because the Crown, you know, still controlled all of the colonies, and it took for, for the George Washingtons and the elite leaders here, they saw that, okay, next they're going to abolish slavery in all the colonies, including on the continental USA, and that alarmed them, right? Uh, like I said, the first blow was the Royal Proclamation, which was about 10 years earlier, uh, in which they had to make a concession, you know, after their Pyrrhic victory over the French and, and the allied indigenous nations, that, look, okay, um, we don't want to have to fight you guys again. The indigenous people said, look, you won't have to fight us again if you bar these colonists from continuing their trek westward. You've taken our lands on the East Coast. We see where you're going. We want this to stop. Well, we're going to keep fighting. I think the cutoff point was the Appalachian Mountains. Exactly. We're going to have to end the conversation there and pick it up next time. We're talking about the Counter-Revolution of 1776 by Gerald Horn, which presents an entirely different view of the American so-called revolution. It's important for us to understand our history because those who don't know their history are doomed to repeat it. Please note this, our environmental problems did not start yesterday. They are deeply rooted in our country and they're deeply rooted in the very nature of what this country is and who we are as a people. That's why we're talking about the counter-revolution of 1776. That's all the time we have. Thank you for joining me. Have a nice day.